Okay, we're going to go ahead and get started. It's really good to see you guys. I want to thank you all for having me here. It's always a privilege and a joy to come to Savannah Bible Mission and uh, share God's Word with you. Let's open with a word of prayer and we'll get started in Jesus in the Old Testament. Most gracious Heavenly Father, I do thank you for the privilege and the joy of being able to come here to be able to share your truth um, with the men and women in this room. Lord, you know each and every one of us to a fault. You know our hopes and our dreams, our fears and our doubts our shame, our misgivings, our mercy and forgiveness that you have given us, you know us inside and out. You are our creator. You are the one that puts breath in our nose and a song in our heart. And so, Father, we come to you now recognizing our need for you. Uh, Please send your Holy Spirit uh, to help us today to understand your word. Open our eyes to this truth. Help us to receive it. Help us to believe it. And give us the strength and the willingness to desire to share that truth with others. Not only uh, here, but in the world around us. So thank you so much for all that you're doing in the lives in this room. And I just pray for each and every one of these students that you will continue to help them uh, as you have pulled them out of the muck and the mire and set their feet on the rock, which is Christ. And that you will send them uh, away from here with your blessings and with your strength and and with a a focus on running a, a race for a prize. That prize being your son, Jesus Christ, in whom name we pray. Amen. All right, so... Just really quickly, um, we've been going over this for four or five months now, and I don't want to continue to harp on it, but I do want to make sure for a couple of you uh, new folks here, um, our group, our class has been lately on Jesus in the Old Testament. We learned that Jesus, when he taught his disciples, the method that he used to teach his disciples was to go into the Old Testament scriptures and teach his disciples that the Old Testament was all about him. It says, then beginning at Moses and the prophets, he began to explain to them all of the things concerning himself in the scriptures, right? And so we have to understand that when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus was training and teaching the apostles that wrote the Bible, the New Testament, when he was training and teaching them, there was no Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, or Corinthians to turn to. They had to go to Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. They had to go to the New Testament, the Old Testament, in order to learn the gospel. When the apostle Paul, uh, after he was knocked off his horse and, and convinced that Jesus was Lord, he turned and started going out and preaching the gospel. And every town that he would go into, he would go into the local synagogue to where the Jews were at. And he would convince them or try to convince them from the scriptures that Jesus was the Christ, that Jesus was the Messiah. So the method all through the New Testament that you're reading is that the apostles and Jesus would go to the Old Testament and teach people that the Old Testament was about Jesus, that it was about the Messiah, that it was about the Savior. And we learned that Jesus taught His disciples this way. We have learned that the entire Bible, Old Testament and New Testament, is Christocentric. What do I mean by that? It's centered in Christ. The Bible is not about you. It is about Christ. And when you go into the Bible and start trying to find you in there, you're looking the wrong way. You find Christ because He is the one that conforms you to His image. We live in a world today where modern evangelicals and modern Christianity is doing whatever they can to conform Christ to their image. They want Him to be like them. But the Scriptures are given to us to work in accord with the Holy Spirit to conform us to the image of Christ. They're Christ-centered. 
And we also learn that Jesus is God and has revealed Himself to us to, to us through the declarations and the fulfilling of His promises. So all of the Old Testament promises were fulfilled in the New Testament, and now all of the New Testament promises that you and I have, such as heaven, uh, such as His return to judge the quick and the dead, all of those promises are just as sure as the Old Testament promises are. And when you and I, as New Testament, New Covenant believers can learn to grasp the entirety of the redemptive narrative from Genesis to Revelation, then we will be more complete Christians because we will be able to see Christ in a fuller way. Okay, Who remembers what we said the term redemptive narrative means? Who remembers that? Y'all remember that? The redemptive narrative. What did we say it means to redeem something? To purchase it. That's exactly right. You go to the store, you pay $1.50, you redeem a Coca-Cola. And you go outside, you crack the lid, and you drink it. If the Coca-Cola costs $1.50, and you go in and you give them a dollar, and you walk out of the store and crack it open and drink it, you have now shoplifted from that store because you did not pay the full redemption price for that soda. And each and every one of you in this room had a bounty on your head. You had a price on your head. The wages of sin is death. And for how much ever you sin, that's how much death you earned. You had a price on your head. And when Jesus hung on that cross, He was paying the price. The last words that Jesus said on the cross was, It is finished. In the Greek, it's tetelestai. And what it means, what that Greek word means is paid in full. If any of you have ever bought a house or a car and finally got it paid off, when you go to the bank, they give you the title and they stamp on it paid in full. You don't owe anything on it anymore. And if you are in this room today and you are a born-again believer, a blood-bought child of God, if the Holy Spirit dwells in you, the reason that you are His child is because He purchased you on that cross. He paid for all of your sins. Everything you did yesterday, everything you did today, and everything that you're going to do tomorrow has been paid in full. There, You no longer owe. When Jesus died on the cross, He said, It is finished. He did not say it is now up to you. And that should give you comfort and hope when you lay your head on your pillow tonight. There's nothing left for you to do. All we do is trust in what He has done. And so the entire Bible is is a declaration of God's promises and God always keeps His promises. And if you are in this room today and you are a believer, it is because you are a promised child of God. You have His promise. And that's very important for us to remember. So, um, I, really quickly, I just want to quickly review a couple of things with you that we talked about last time we were together. We talked about the seed of Abraham. Do you all remember talking about the seed of Abraham? And we talked about the fact that Abraham had four seeds. Four seeds. One seed was his natural children. Who would be of the natural seed of Abraham? Ishmael, Isaac, Jacob, Esau, David, Saul. All of those people are Abraham's natural seed. They could all claim to be from the seed of Abraham. But not only did Abraham have a natural seed, but he had an elect natural seed. What do I mean by that? Those chosen by God to believe on God. Who would be one of the special chosen ones of Abraham's seed, natural seed? King David. Who else? Joseph. Israel. Jacob. 
right? So there were those certain ones in the natural seed of Abraham who not only were they the physical seed of Abraham, but they also had the same faith that Abraham had. So he had a natural seed, then he had a, a, a natural elect seed, and then he had a spiritual seed, right? We looked in the book of Galatians and it said that we are the Israel of God. We are His chosen ones. We are His offspring, if you will. Now, you remember we went into the book of John and we saw where Jesus was confronted by the Pharisees and Jesus said, "You are of I know you are of your father Abraham. He said, but you are of your father the devil, right? You may be Abraham's children, but your father is the devil. You are the devil's seed. So there are people running around in this world today. The multitudes of this world running around today are of the seed of Satan. Uh, John. Yeah. John 8. John 8. So, he told them that they were of the spiritual seed of the devil. So, there is a natural seed of Abraham. There is a natural elect seed of Abraham. There is a spiritual seed of Abraham, which is all of the believers that had the same kind of faith as Abraham. So if you are in this room today, you are of the spiritual seed of Abraham, which means that you are not a Jew, genetically. But spiritually, you have the same faith in you that Abraham had. That makes you part of the family. You see? Now I want to show you that in, in a uh, text of Scripture. Turn with me really quickly to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2. Start in verse 9. Hebrews chapter 2, verse 9. But we do see Him who was made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus, because of the suffering of death, crowned with glory and honor, so that by the grace of God He might taste death for everyone. Hebrews 2, 9. For it, Hebrews 2, 10. For it was fitting for Him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things, in bringing many sons to glory, to perfect to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from what? One Father. For which reason He is not ashamed to call them His brethren. Think about that. When we sing that song, uh, Joyful, Joyful, We Adore Thee, it says, Christ our brother, God our Father, Christ our brother. Right? Why are we his brother? Because we are of God's seed. Now, if you have, if you are in this room today and you are a born again believer, if you have been born again, you are God's child through adoption. And you have the spiritual faith that of Jesus, you have the spiritual faith of Abraham, you have a spiritual faith that the world around you does not have. And because you have that spiritual faith, it is a proof or an evidence that you are a part of his family. 
You are a joint heir with Jesus. There's an old song we used to sing in church. I'm proud to be a part of the family of God. Born of His Spirit, washed in His blood. Right? And it says, um, joint heirs with Jesus as we travel along. I'm proud to be a part of the family of God. And what it claims is that you are of the same family. And you don't lose that. That's a gift that you have forever. But Jesus is the seed. And we are His offspring. So look at that again. For both He who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one Father, for which reason He is not ashamed to call them His brethren. Alright? So, in verse 14 it says, Therefore since the children share in flesh and blood, He Himself likewise also partook of the same, that through death He might render powerless Him who had power over death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear and death were subject to slavery all of their lives. So Christ came and humbled Himself and died on the cross to set me and you free from death, from the slavery of sin, from our own nature, and to set us free to become children of God. And so we are His seed. We are Abraham's seed because we have the same faith as Abraham, but we are children of God. Why? Because when Jesus died on the cross, He was sanctifying a people. He was separating a people for Himself. He was saying, these are My people. And when He died on that cross, He shed His blood for every single one of them. Now it's very important to remember that Jesus died to save His sheep. That's what Jesus said in John 10. I lay My life down for My sheep. And if you're in this room today and you are a believer, you are not a believer because you believe. You are a believer because you are His sheep and He saved you and gave you the faith to believe. Your believing is a fruition of the fact that you're His. It's very important to remember that. Because if your believing is what gets you to heaven, then who gets you to heaven? You. What you've done. And it's not what you do that gets you to heaven. It's what Christ did on that cross for you. He purchased a salvation for you on that cross. And now you are to go out and live the rest of your life and thanks for what He's done for you. But we kind of got off the subject. Abraham had four seeds. A natural seed, a natural elect seed, a spiritual seed, and then the seed. Right? In your seed, all of the nations will be blessed. In your seed, and it was a capital S, your seed, all of the nation will be blessed. So that one seed that came from Abraham would have been Christ. And Paul brings that out specifically for us in the book of Galatians. So we talked about that last time we were together. How we are of Abraham's seed if we are believers, if we express the same faith that Abraham has. And so there are Jewish, there are natural Jews. Then there are born again natural Jews, which means Messianic Jews, a, a person who was Jewish and they were born again. Not only do they have the physical genetics of Abraham, but they also have the spiritual faith of Abraham. You see how that works? So uh, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, David, Solomon, uh, Paul, all the apostles, they are not only physically related to Abraham, not only do they have the same genetics, but they have the same spiritual faith as Abraham that makes them a part of not only the physical family, but the spiritual family as well. 
than you and I in this room. We are not genetically related to Abraham. Well, I don't think we are. Some, some men here may have had some Jewish blood in you. But the reality is we're not physically related to him, but spiritually we have the same faith that he does, and that makes us part of his family. We are a part of the Israel of God. Okay? And so with all of that in mind, we'll get into today's, today's text. We're going to turn to Genesis chapter 17, and we'll start there and see how far we get today. Genesis chapter 17. So back to the Old Testament. I'm sorry, Genesis 15. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 15, not 17. Let's look over this text. We'll read 15. I don't think we're going to be able to get to 16 today. We'll probably just stay in 15. It says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abraham in a vision, saying, Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward will be very great. Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me since I am childless and the heir of my house is Eleazar of Damascus? And Abram said, Since you have given me no offspring to me, one born in my own house will be my heir. Then behold, the word of the Lord came to him, saying, This man will not be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body will be your heir. And he took him outside and said, Now look towards the heavens and count the stars, if you are able to count them. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. Then he believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. And he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land to possess it. And he said, O Lord God, how may I know that I possess it? And he said to him, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. And he brought all of these to him, and he cut them in two and laid each one half opposite the other, but he did not cut the birds. The birds of prey came down upon the carcasses, and Abram drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram, and he, behold, terror and great darkness fell upon him. God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not yours, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for four hundred years. But I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace. You will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet complete. It came about when the sun had set that it was very dark. And behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between the pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenites and the Kenizzites and the Cadmonites and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashite and the Jebusite. All right? So let's go back here and see if we can see Jesus in this uh, passage, in this story with Abram and uh, in this account that he's had with God. First thing we see in verse 1, it says, After these things, the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision, saying, Do not fear Abram. I am your shield. Your reward will be very great. Notice it said, The word of the Lord came in a vision. 
Now, usually when we think of word, what do we think? Something spoken. But apparently, this word came to Abraham in a way that he could see him. Right? What do we call it when God makes an appearance? We've learned this word. Who remembers it? Very close. Theo meaning God and Phaneru meaning appearance. Theophany. Y'all remember? Theophany. An appearance of God. Where God makes a visual appearance and someone sees Him. Now, what is the immediate problem with that? The Bible says no one has seen God and lived. Alright? So we have not seen Him in His spiritual form, but God has a wonderful trait where He He makes Himself known to us in ways that we can understand and appreciate. That's a whole part of why Jesus came in the flesh. The Word became flesh. So what's the difference in God appearing to me and you now and God appearing to Abraham? At this point, He was not flesh. He was spirit. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us so that we can understand Him, so that we can know Him. But to Abraham, He appeared in a vision. Who appeared to Him in a vision? The Word of the Lord. L-O-R-D, all capital letters, right? Anytime you read that word Lord in all capital letters in your Old Testament Bible, remember that it's talking about Yahweh, Jehovah, the covenant-keeping, promise-keeping creator of the universe. Anytime you see L-O-R-D in all capital letters, it's talking about Yahweh. And who appeared before Abram? The Lord. Yahweh appeared before the Lord. And what is He also known as? The Word of the Lord. Right? So anytime any of your Jehovah's Witness friends tells you that the Bible doesn't say that Jesus is God, remember that when Jesus stood before the Pharisees, He said, Before Abraham was, I am. You see? This is what Jesus was telling those Pharisees. Hey, you remember that voice that was talking to Moses in the burning bush? That was me. Now remember, what did it say in the burning bush story? It said, the Lord appeared to Moses. The same thing He did right here to Abram. He appeared to Abram. You see? So who is it? It's God. Who is it? It's Jesus. So where do we see Jesus in this passage? A theophany. A vision. A word, the word of the Lord. And what did he say? Do not be afraid. And why did he say that? They're always afraid. And any of you in this room, if you have ever truly been confronted by the holy, holy, holy God, you were afraid to. When God was really working in your life and convicting you, when you were truly turning in repentance from your sin and yourself and turning back to Him, it was not a happy time. There was probably a lot of tears and a lot of bubbles and snot and murmuring and crying and facing the floor kind of stuff. And I'm not saying that to be funny. When we are confronted with a holy, holy, holy God, it is terrifying. And every time that an angel, even an angel, not God Himself, but an angel would appear, the angel would always have to say, don't be afraid. What did we say to Mary when the angel came? Fear not. I bring come bring good. It's a terrifying thing to fall into the hands of an angry God, right? That's what the Bible says. And when God steps in, so He would say, He said, Abraham, don't be afraid. I am your shield. I will be your great reward. Now, notice His name is Abram here, right? His name is Abram. God is going to change His name to Abraham, but right now it's Abram. So what's going to happen? There's going to be a change in His life. He has a grandson whose name gets changed too. What? Who was, Jacob gets changed to Israel. Israel. That's exactly right. He, his name got changed from trickster 
to one who strives with God, one who walks with God, who one who 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 follows God. So he went from being a trickster and a manipulator to one who was humble before his creator and walked with him. You see? And what did God do in that case? He changed his name. How many of y'all ever sung that old hymn? There's a new name written down in glory, and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. Right? All right. So, Abraham said, Abram said, You have given me no offspring. Then there's a problem there, isn't it? Because God had already promised Abram an offspring. And he's like, I don't have no kids. How, how are you going to bless me? I don't have any children. He said, I'm going to have to give everything that I own to Eleazar, my servant. There's not one from my own house going to come. And he took him outside and he said, look out of the heaven and count the stars. If you're able to count them, he said, your descendants are going to be... So basically, he takes Abram outside and he says, look at the stars. Your descendants, your seed, your children is going to be more than this star in the sky. And I don't know if any of y'all have ever had a chance to go out into the desert at night where there's no light pollution and look up at the sky, but it is an amazing thing. It is a breathtaking thing. Or get out into the middle of the ocean where there's no light pollution and look up into the sky. You would be amazed at how many stars are out there. And what's he saying? Abraham, your kids are going to be more than all the stars in the sky. And what is Abraham doing? He's doubting. He's saying, how are you telling me I'm going to have all these kids... And well, I don't even have one. He's about what, 70 or 60 something there. Yeah, he's pretty old. So he took him outside. He said, So shall your descendants be, as many of these start. And look at the next thing. So Abraham had just been questioning God. He was like, Look, I don't have no kids yet. He took him outside. He said, See all the stars? That's how many kids you're going to have. And then look what he says. Then. He believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. There's two he's in there. Look at it again. Then he believed in the Lord and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. So um, maybe you have a newer translation that said he believed in the, Abraham believed in the Lord and God reckoned it to him as righteousness. Um, If you have an NASB like I have, the second he is capitalized. So just for us to make sure we understand what's happening here, who believed in the Lord? Abram. Abram. And the Lord reckoned it to him as righteousness. What does it mean? I live here in the South. How many are I reckon? Yeah, I reckon so. Where do you think that comes from? It comes from the Bible. It comes from kids learning to read a King James Bible when they were, that's how they learned to read. And so, I reckon. Well, what does it mean to reckon something? It, add it up. Total it up. Figure it out. Well, I reckon we're we going to win the game. Right? Scores 9 to 8. Bottom of the night. Two outs. I reckon we're going to win. If you're a Braves fan, don't reckon on that because they'll lose. <laughs> but to reckon... So, what is it saying? God looked at Abraham... Abraham's faith was accredited to him as righteousness. Now, is Abraham a righteous dude? No. We learned that he pimped his own wife out to, to an Egyptian king. He's not a great guy. Better than most of us, but he falls just like we do. 
he trusts God and then something happens and he don't trust God and then he'll trust God and then something bad happens and he don't trust God. Uh, what were we talking about? If, uh, we get in a rough time in our life, right? And it's kind of hard to trust when things are collapsing all around you. Those are the very times that you need to trust the most. What God is doing is He's pulling everything away from you that you're going to put your trust in so that you can only trust in Him. That's what He's doing. He's taking away all your crutches so that you have to lean on Him alone. So when life's falling apart, God's not. But Abraham, Abram believed God, and so God credited it to him as righteousness. So who has all the righteousness? God. And if He credits you with it, how much righteousness do you have? All of it. That's exactly right. So when you stand on the last day before the judgment, you will have to answer for the life you've lived in Christ. I'm going to have to answer for everything that I've ever done. And my rewards are going to be based on what I've done. Rewards. But me getting into heaven, my salvation is not based on anything that I've done. It's based on what Christ has done for me. And the reason that I'm going to be found not guilty, the reason I'm going to be found good enough to go to heaven is because Jesus credited me with His goodness. Not one single thought, not one single feeling, not one single action, not one single thing that I have ever done is going to merit my salvation. Because for every one good thing that I've done, there's ten bad things that wipe that out. And when Jesus was dying on the cross, He was paying for every single sin that I committed. So not only will I not be found guilty in God's eyes because my sins are under the blood of Christ, but He has credited me with His righteousness. He's covered me with His goodness. So now when God looks down on me, He sees His Son covering me. He sees His Son's goodness covering me. He don't see that man that I used to be. He don't see the man that I think I am. Thank goodness. He sees me as His child. And He's dealt with a lot of sinners don't you think? Yeah. And the amazing thing is, He still loves you. How much did He love you? He sent His Son and took the hell that you deserve and poured it on Him so you wouldn't have to stay. He's a wonderful God. He's a wonderful Savior. He's a righteous God. And the only thing that will get me into heaven is being as righteous as Him. And I can't do it. That's why Jesus came and died on the cross. Not only did Jesus take away all of my sins, but He credited me with His goodness. So that perfect life that Jesus lived is now credited to me. Now can you understand why we get frustrated when we try to do it in our strength? Yeah. Do you understand why you trying to do something to help you get to heaven Is basically trampling under Christ's blood, under your feet. You're basically saying, "Okay, God, you did that much, but I'll get the rest of it. I'll handle it now." You're not trusting in Him. Well, right here, Abram had nothing to look to. He's an old man. He's got no kids. God's telling him that his his 
see is going to be as much as the stars in the sky. He's got nothing to prove it except this vision and the Word of God. But what does he do? He believes God. He don't trust what he sees. He don't trust what he feels. He don't trust his past. He's not putting his hopes into some future that he thinks he's going to have. He simply trusts the Word of God. And that's what we must do as well. That's why you are going to Bible books on five days a week, or five times a day. Because the Word is what you need. And you need to believe it. And so Abraham believed God it was counted in for righteousness. It's called justification by faith. Good. Turn with me really quickly over to Romans chapter 4. Keep your um, mark here in, in Genesis 15. Justification by faith, Romans chapter 4. It says this. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. I'm in, I'm in three, guys. I'm way up ahead of you there. All right, verse four, chapter 4. What then shall we say about Abram? Or Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, is found. What shall we then say about Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, has found? For if Abraham was justified by works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what did the Scripture say? Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him for righteousness. Alright, so what has Paul just done? He just quoted some scripture. What scripture did he just quote? Genesis 15. So what is Paul doing for me and you? He's saying, look everybody, let's go back and talk about Abram for a minute. Remember when he believed God? What did God do when he believed Him? He credited it to Him for righteous, as righteousness. Because he believed, he credited it to Him for righteousness. Now watch what it says next. Now, to the one who works, his wages is not credited as a favor, but what is due. But to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. So what is Paul saying? We are justified by faith, not by works. Our justification comes by faith. Through Christ, in Christ and in what He's done for us. That's why we are justified. Not because of what we do. Right? Now, if you go to the book of James, okay. it says that my works show me a man who... Uh, show me show me I'll your faith. By your works, and I'll show you my... I'll show you I have to go. Show me... And then we say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without works. By my works. That's exactly right. So what it almost sounds like is James is saying that we're justified by works, but that's not what James is saying. What James is saying is this. If I have faith, I will work. My work is not the source of my righteousness. My works are not the source of my salvation. 
But if I have righteousness, if I am saved, it will display itself in works. So what James is saying is if you really have faith, you're going to work. And you're going to go to heaven not because you work, but because you have faith. It's very important to see that, guys. We too often try to, to earn our, our earn God's love. We try too much to earn, to make up for our past by doing good things. Look, God, how much I'm praying. Look, God, how much I'm reading my Bible. Look, God, how many times I go to church a week. Look, God, how much I'm doing. Look, 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 look. And who are we looking at the whole time? So, hey, it's reverse pride is all it is. Where are we supposed to look? To the cross. In Jesus. To the fulfilled promise. We look to Him. And we look to His promise. That gives us our assurance. That gives us our hope. That gives us... And so, what are we looking at when we look at Jesus? So Paul, in his treatise on salvation in Romans, is going to Abraham. He's going all the way back to the Old Testament. And who's the next guy he talks about? David. Yeah, look, just as David also speaks of a blessing to a man who God credits righteousness. Blessed is the man whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. What is uh, Paul doing? He's quoting Psalms. He's going back to the book of Psalms and saying the real blessed man is the one that God will not count uh, his sins against him. Blessed is the man who has been forgiven. Blessed is the one whose lawless deeds have been forgiven, whose sins have been covered. Well, what have they been covered in? The blood of Christ. But remember, when David wrote that, Jesus was his great-great-grandson, 40-generation grandson. He had not yet shed his blood. Well, that leads us into the last part of our passage tonight. Let's go back to that Genesis passage and look again. So, he takes him outside. He says, um, this is how many descendants you're going to have. Abram believed God. It was credited for righteousness. And then he said... Um, he said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of earth, and I give this land to possess to you. I'm going to give you this land. What land is he talking about? Yeah, the land of Canaan. Right? He promised that to him. And look what he says. Um, down in verse 13, we'll jump ahead for a minute just quickly. God said to Abraham, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. How can God tell him that Abraham's kids were all going to go live in Egypt for 400 years and be slaves? How can he do that? He's there. Only God can do that. Why? Because everything that happens, every breath that you take is decreed by God. Every one of your steps is planned out by God. Everything that happened in your entire life is planned by God. Now, if God had called your addiction and your problem, no, but it was all part of His plan. And so, what's going to happen with you in your life? Those addictions and that rough life that you've lived, all of that brokenness that you've left in your past that's under the blood of Christ now, is either going to work towards God's display of His mercy and grace or work towards His display of justice and wrath. What are you going to do with the mercy of God? 
going to be a vessel of mercy or are you going to be a vessel of wrath? See? But it's all been planned out. And so he's already telling Abraham, he said, look, your descendants, your kids are going to go live there for 400 years and then I'm going to bring them out of there. I'm going to redeem them. I'm going to bring them out of that land. And so he's making this promise ahead of time. And then back up in verse... uh, Seven, he says, I'm the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldees to give you the land to possess it. So I brought you out of your, your homeland and now I'm going to give you a land. Remember in that passage we studied a couple weeks ago, he promised him that he would give him a land, right? Alright, so you can stay there. I don't want you to go back and get lost, but remember that Romans passage we were just in a minute ago? He says this. Romans, I think, 4, 13, 18. Make sure I don't want to tell you wrong. In Romans 4, 13, it says, For the promise to Abraham or to his descendants would be that he would be the heir of the world, was not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. I want you to notice what Paul just did right there. Paul said, look at he says, for the promise to Abraham or to his descendants is that he would be the heir of the world. Not through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So what did he say? In the Old Testament, Abraham was pulled out of Ur and he was promised the land of what? Canaan. But Paul's now saying, no, no, he wasn't just getting Canaan, he was going to inherit the world. It's not about just a little small speck of land over there in the middle of the Middle East. It's about the entire kingdom of God. The new heavens and the new earth is the inheritance of God's people. If we have the faith to Abraham, that promise to inherit the world is just as much ours as it was to Abraham. That makes sense to everybody? Everybody grab that? Okay. It's a big picture thing here. What would you say? A macro column. It's a big picture. Alright? So, he said, Oh Lord, how, how will I know that I will possess it? So he's saying, God, give me some proof. Uh, so he said, Bring me a three-year-old heifer, a three-year-old female goat, a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a pigeon. He said to him, Cut them in half and lay them opposite each other, but he did not cut the birds. Uh, the birds of prey came down on the carcass. Abraham drove them away. Now, when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abram. And behold, a terror and great darkness fell upon him. There's that God's presence there. And God said, Abram, know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in the land. He tells him all of that. Then it says, um, And it came about as the sunset that there was a very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flame torch which passed between these pieces. On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abram and said, To your descendants I have given this land. Right? And then in Romans, what did Paul say? I have given you the world. And he says, From the river Egypt. And he describes the land that he's going to give Abram. But the picture is way bigger than that. You see? And so what did he do? He, God made a covenant with Abraham. He made a promise with him. Y'all know that... Um, you know in your Bibles when you open it up it says Old Testament and New Testament? Well, that word could say Old Covenant and New Covenant. The word testament is the Hebrew word for covenant. And a covenant is a promise. Right? So in the Old Covenant, 
in the Old Testament, God made a covenant with Abraham. And this is the way he did it. He came down and did it in such a way that Abraham would understand. Because back in that day, kings that owned big parts of land would come together and make peace treaties together. And so one of the ways that they would make a treaty, it was called a suzerain treaty, is the two kings would get together and they would basically shake hands and say, look, I agree that I will do this and you agree that you will do this. And they would both promise each other, both kings would promise each other that they would do these things. Now, but part of that treaty was this. They would take these animals and cut them in half. And they would put half on the right and half on the left. And then the two kings would walk between the animals and make the promises as they walked. So they're walking between these animals. Well, what is the symbol there? The symbol is these kings are making these promises between these carcasses. And what are they saying? If I break my promise, let this be me. See? Let this, if I break my promise, let this be me. Let what happened to these animals happen to me. So Abraham falls asleep, and the lamp and the light, I am the light of the world, the lamp and the light, passes alone through the animals. Why did did Abraham pass through it with him? Because God knows that Abraham can't keep the promise. He knows he can't keep the promise. So what does he do? He says, I'm going to fulfill the promise alone. I'm going to keep this covenant. Well, what is the point of the animals being cut in half? You remember the garment had be sin? They were both naked. What happened? They got covered, didn't they? With what? Animal skin. Covered their nakedness. Well, God had to kill an animal in order to cover them. Something had to die. Why? Because God had promised Adam in the garden that if you eat from this tree, you will surely die. He made a promise. He's got to keep the promise to Adam. So what did he do? He took the death that was promised to Adam and put it on the animal so that he could cover them. So every time you're in the Old Testament and you read about... um, Solomon sacrificing a thousand bulls and on a high plate, you know, on a high hill, whatever. What are all of these sacrifices saying? The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. The wages of sin is death. And when the priest would come in and put his hand on the head of that bull, what is he saying? He's transferring the sins of him and the people onto the animal so that the animal will take the death that they deserve. See how that works? It's a constant reminder that that should be me. And where do we see Jesus in that? Well, let's turn over to the book of Hebrews real quick. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. When Christ, this is Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 11. But when Christ appeared 
as a high priest of the good things to come. All right. Remember back in, when Abram and God made that covenant, He's making Abraham a promise of things to what? Come. Things that are going to happen. When Christ appeared as the high priest of the good things to come, He entered through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this creation. What is a tabernacle? It's a traveling tent, right? Right? It's a shelter. And through, not through the blood of goats and calves, but through His own blood. He entered into the holy place once for all, having obtained eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the ashes of heifers sprinkling those who have been defiled sanctify for the cleansing of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself without blemish to God, cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? For this reason He is the mediator of a new covenant so that since a death has taken place for the redemption of the transgressions that were committed under the first covenant, those who have been called may receive the promise of the eternal eternal inheritance. So, in the same way that those animals were cut in half, God walked through that and said, if I don't keep my promise, let this happen to me. Well, did God keep His promise? God always keeps His promise. But who didn't keep that promise? Abraham. Adam. Jacob. Isaac. David. Paul. Peter. James. John. You. Me. And so now, when you read that verse, it said, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that we might know the righteousness of Christ. Jesus hung on that cross and He said, Father, I didn't do it, but you take what they did and put it on me and I'll be the sacrifice. I'll take the death that they deserve so that they can have a life that they can never earn. What is that life that we get from Him called? Eternal life. How long does eternity last? Forever. So when Jesus was dying on the cross, He was thinking of all of His people. All of His descendants. All of those who would be on Him. All of His children. And He said, Father, you take the punishment they deserve, you put it on Me. And He took that death on that cross so that you and I can have a life with Him. And so now when I go back and I read that story of Abram, and I see God making a promise to him of future things to come, what did Abram do? He believed God. God passed through those animals on his own. And he said, if I don't keep this promise, let this happen to me. Well, God kept his promise, but we didn't. So he loved us enough that he sent his son, and we'll see that in a couple weeks, where uh, where. Abraham and Isaac are going to go marching up a hill for a sacrifice. He loved us enough to send his son and let him say, I'll take the death. Let me be the one that takes the punishment for breaking the promise. I'll take it. And so I hope that tonight we can see a couple of things. I hope we can see that we had a God who uh, whose son 
came and died on a cross so that you and I could have eternal life. And that plan was established before the foundation of the world. 2,020 years before you were, uh, 2,000 years before most of you ever even drew a breath, he already had that plan in place. And he didn't die for you because you were good. And he didn't die for you because he knew the one day that you would believe in him. <coughs> he died on that cross to redeem you and to purchase your salvation. And that salvation and the promise that is now yours because he loves you and he cares for you. He died for you. And so we also need to realize that that salvation doesn't come free. Someone has to pay for what I've done. You are a born again believer. You're a blood bought child of God. If you have a spirit dwelling in you, that spirit is a seal that you have been paid for, that you've been bought and paid for, and your sins have been covered. And every time you start falling back into your past and thinking about being guilty for all the things that you've done in your past, you're forgetting what He did for you on the cross. You're forgetting that I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer I that live with Christ the beginning that it's been paid in full. It is finished. And your job is to put your trust in what He has done for you and to allow what He has done for you uh, not only through His death on the cross but through Him sending His Spirit to live in you to now go out and live the life that you couldn't live on your own. You go out and allow this dark and dying world around you to see what God's children really look like. It's a great responsibility we have a it's also a great honor and we have a great God who will make sure that you're empowered to do it. All we have to do, and I'll finish with this, is be like Abraham. Hear his word and believe him. Hear his word and believe him. Amen. Father, thank you for this time you give us together tonight. Thank you so much for your son. Thank you so much for what he's done on that cross for us. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for allowing us to see it and to realize it. I pray for every man and woman in this room. If there be someone here, Lord, tonight who has not trusted you, help them to lay aside self and turn to your cross and what you've done for them. I also ask you to help each and every person here to remember these thoughts that we've made tonight concerning your word. Help us to, to trust you. Help us to rely on you alone help us to see your son in all of the passages of scripture as we read through your precious word in christ's name we pray amen